Welcome back to another edition of the Arantia Radio Podcast. My name is Jim Watkins. Joining me this time up to talk current events from a Arantia book perspective is Halbert Katzen, creator of the great website ubannotated.com, where Halbert often provides great analytical study of the Arantia papers, in some cases going places where few dare to go to provide extra analytical insight into the Arantia revelation. In this candid conversation, we talk about current events, the global geopolitical events and how they relate to end times discussion, plus the importance of music in the Arantia book, and in particular, a solar event that is about to take place that could inaugurate a new era of planetary destiny. So obviously a lot to discuss on this edition of the Arantia Radio Podcast with my special guest, Halbert Katzen. Joining me this time up on the Arantia Radio podcast is somebody that I've known actually longer than I even realized, more than 10 years. And the reason I know that is because I called an old cell phone number that has been in my cell phone for at least 10 years. So I know that Halbert Katzen is uh, is a regular or semi-regular on this podcast. He's been on previously a number of times talking about a whole range of subjects, which is why I like having him on. Uh, if you recall the last few times, we've talked a lot about the upcoming solar eclipse and how it ties together with some other very interesting dots being connected vis-a-vis the Urantia papers. And also we'll talk about some of the things that he's working on this time up. And uh, Halbert always involved in interesting projects, to say the least. He is the creator of ubannotated.com, uh, previously ubthenews.com. And he provides a more analytical, almost scholarly, oh, I would say scholarly approach to trying to understand the Arantia book. And so, Albert, it's good to have you back. How are you? I'm doing well, Jim. Thanks for having me. Well, I... appreciate being on the show. Yeah, you know, I I can't help but to get bothered by all the news, and I have to be honest with you. when, When I thought about doing the interview today, you know, there's just so much bad in the world. And it really, really got me down. And in talking to some other friends also in the Arantia community, politics is really sort of stealing all the thunder. And it's starting to creep into, I don't know, maybe every facet of life. But what's going on in the world today? And, and I know that even in some of your writings, you're talking about prophets and seers and the modern times and things. So what's your take on, I guess this is a broad question, but what's your take on the sudden, it seems like the sudden rising of evil and and just badness in the world today with the war and, you know, crime and people and just everything, COVID, just seems like the world is upside down. What's your take? Sure. How um, are you dealing with well, it? Well, um, I think the world senses that we're on the brink of something because everything is changing so quickly it's so hard to keep up with and and challenging to get good information and 
and create a, a solid worldview. And when, you know, life is life all the time. And so if life becomes more difficult, much more difficult uh, for any reason, um, it will have these unifying and divisive uh, effects to it, I think. You know, the the better we are, the more unifying the intensity brings uh, to life, and our shortcomings uh, leave us vulnerable to division. And so I think that's what we're seeing right now is, uh, you know, we're dealing with a more intense expression of, of life these days than what we've dealt with in the past for all kinds of reasons. I mean, we could analyze it from the spiritual side, the historical perspective. We can look at it from the secular perspective, but technologically there's one there. You know, however we approach it, um, it's getting incredibly intense. And so I think that this is, it just goes with the territory, you know, that's all. And and so we've got to, you know, learn to ride it out and, and, you know, recognize that this is what intensity brings to life. I, I've certainly been, you know, turning people off and drawing people closer uh, with the way I've taken some subjects head on uh, as of late um, uh, regarding religion and politics. And I knew that this would happen. And I was you know, I don't know, it's so timely or ahead, but I was aware of how this was going to get me, you know, quote unquote, in trouble, whether, um, you know, issues related to prophecy and signs of the times, that sets people off in a certain way. Um, we've got race issues that, of course, relate to your answer book teachings in contemporary society. We've got gender issues. We've got political issues. It's all right there. And um, so, you know, fortunately, I'm, I'm happy to say that, uh, you know, on the whole, it, it's balanced and, and there are good things to focus on and, and people are pulling together in different ways. Um, I've been trying to get a, a better historical and you might say existential perspective on what's going on today, because that's sort of how my pedagogical relationship to life works. You know, uh, I want to get clear on fundamental uh, understanding and historical development to support me in my analysis of current, you know, circumstances. And uh, the interest in the eclipses and how that uh, relates to prophecy and signs of the times uh, naturally led me into a general study of prophets and seers and heralds and, you know, that type of study in a general sense. And, and then when I uh, generalized, the study of prophets and seers and heralds and saints um, and, and started to look at that issue, I realized there is, you know, even a 
more general issue under that that I wanted to address first, um, because the issue of entheogens comes into play. Mystic experiences, whenever we talk about seers and seeing into the future and connections with God, uh, that relates to humanity's uh, experimentation with various types of psychoactive substances, which is not to say that the prophets of old were using psychoactive substances. It's to say we don't entirely know. Um, and we do know that there are cultures around the world that uh, use sacraments. Um, we know that Jesus, in cooperation with our Heavenly Father, turned water into wine. And Melchizedek brought forth bread and wine. Uh, so we've got issues here uh, to discuss. And, and so that led to um, a general study about mysticism and entheogens. And so just this last week, you know, I've got about a, a half a dozen study aids that are in process because of how my mind works this way that I have to, you know, keep going back to fundamentals in history before I move forward. And so uh, this is actually the first study aid I've kind of managed to put out uh, really in a little bit on this kind of collection or, or series. And I think it's very important uh, for a number of reasons. One is it, it's something that each of us struggle with uh, in our own personal lives, or maybe we don't struggle with it, but we need to make our choices. You know, uh, it, it's there for all of us to consider how does what we put into our body impact our health and our relationship with God. So on that level, it's just fundamental, you know, and uh, uh, the Urantia book has a lot to say about this, really. And it, it, it's challenging to um, sort of keep in mind all the different things the Urantia book teaches in different sections of the book, because you really have to, you know, study different um, words and bring them into association. So, for instance, I was doing word searches and various permutations of these uh, words for mystic, mystery, intoxicate, drug, poison, narcotized, addict, alcohol, and wine, where, you know, some of the uh, ones I started off with, that's not a complete list, but it gives you a sense of um, how things are going to be brought in uh, from different parts of the book, different time periods, different, you know, physiological versus historical issues. So um, this is important because consideration of Bob Marley as the person referenced in 44.115, where it, it says that a musician may come and, you know, inspire the people. Uh, he's a candidate for that, and he uh, was a heavy cannabis user and, and um, might be activist that way. Um, and he encouraged cannabis as a sacrament. And so... That's uh, 
kind of. Well, you're referring like to Rastafarianism, aren't you? <coughs> Rastafarianism. Yes, yes, the Rastafari religion is a uh, is a fascinating development, you know, in modern human history as as a new religion, and so as I got my work developed on prophets and seers, which of course relates to the Urantia revelation, you know, where we have the anonymous seer, the sleeping subject of the Urantia book. And so I wanted to take a look at the last hundred years, right? And, and ask myself, in the last hundred years is because that's when contact with the sleeping subject began, roughly. A little more than that now, closer really to 110. But um, so, you know, this set up a hundred year history type of study that I broke up into decades, and it's very much a work in progress right now. And uh, I'm not doing it on the zeros, but on the fives, because that just works better for uh, your answer book history. You know, we've got 1955 as a very important date, of course. Um, and, and also 1935 is another important day. So I, I said about doing it that way, uh, in 1915 to 2025, uh, 25 to 35, etc. And this brought me uh, into a appreciation for the decade of 1975 to 1985. And uh, I guess I want to say um, 1965 to 1975, of course, sets that up. And at the very end of 1965, uh, that, you know, a decade, uh, kind of uh, um, 56 to 65 time period, we had the Beatles at Shea Stadium. And so the uh, whole development of sound technology, which allowed musicians to play to huge audiences like they'd never played to before, that really got set off in the you know 65 to 75 time period. And that, not surprisingly, is when we had this incredible spiritual revolution, political revolution. We had the 60s, man. You know, like, stuff really started to happen when those PA systems got going. And uh, so we get into 75, 85, and that's where Bob Marley makes the scene, is in the wake of this technological development reaching a point of, of sophistication where uh, someone can, you know, kind of take on the world. A, a bit easier and, and play to big crowds everywhere if they've got the charisma. Okay, so and, all of this is interesting, but what, what is it? What does it have to do with the Arantia Revelation? Well, um, the paragraph uh, that says a real musician may appear on Arantia and whole peoples will be enthralled by the magnificent strains of his melodies. Uh, one such human being could forever change the course of a whole nation, even the entire civilized world. Uh, this is not trivial, because the way Urantia book readers interpret this, 
and whether it has occurred or not, has all kind of stuff to do with the way we end up interpreting stuff about the prophets and the seers and whether we're in the times of tribulation or not. And it also brings up um, these intensely important uh, questions about psychoactive substances, uh, which are important because this relates to how we relate to each other and how we judge each other and how we seek to control each other. And so when it comes to the days that we're living in and the craziness that we're seeing, one of the beautiful things about cannabis for people of faith is it creates the opportunity uh, to get on board with people of faith by saying God created plant life, right? There's intelligent design behind this, right? God provided it. Easy to get a yes from a person of faith with a statement like that. It's you know, pretty straightforward. Then we go to the next level of discussion. So human beings have taken what God has provided and called it criminal and dangerous and something that should not be available to human beings. God provided it, and some of our brothers are taking it away. Who's on what side of what here? Well, I, I think there's like a lot of good points to be God. made there. Uh, absolutely. And, <laughs> right. and even right. taking it a step further, you know, most of our medicines are made from plants and substances, but some of these medicines that they make for people are tend to do more harm than good. If you've ever paid attention to the disclaimer at the end of a, a big pharma ad, but I, I see what you're right. saying because there is sort of a manipulation of the chemical forces by people who are exploiting other human beings one way or the other, either by making laws like, for example, in Florida where marijuana is not legal, but you can get a medical license for it. It, that itself was a struggle because there are so many old people that live in Florida that Big Pharma had a lot to lose if people s suddenly stopped taking pa pain meds and switched to cannabis. You know, So that was a clear lobbying effort for a long time, which delayed the eventual uh, you know, thing that we have, situation we have now where it's, it's more easily available. You can get a prescription for it. But that's a good example of how, you know, you've got these corporate interests who will, 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 you know, for example, during the COVID pandemic, you know, I just read a study a couple of weeks ago that said that Africa basically had so little effect from COVID. And the reason that they think that it did is because of two drugs that are taken quite frequently, hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin, which are both plant-based drugs. And because that was part of the diet of the typical African in a rural area where they're dealing with malaria and mosquitoes and things like that, they basically lived through pand they lived through the pandemic almost completely unscathed. And that is an example of like in our country and in the West where they took they took a vaccine only approach, new technology that had not been done before, mRNA and other things. And now look at the problems we're having with 
side effects and adverse effects that nobody wants to admit that we are having. So I get what you're saying. It's an inter- it is a very interesting thing how even on a chem- chemical level, we're screwing each other in many ways. <laughs> when, instead of taking the positive properties of these drugs for nutrition, for psycho, you know, I think it was, uh, and I'll be quiet here, but the, uh, Scott Peck in The Road Less Travels uh, traveled makes the point yeah. that there's a commonality between people who are real spiritual and who tend to end up being alcoholics or drug users later in life because they're trying to attain that sort of spiritual level and they sometimes want to use drugs to get there, right? Well, one of the uh, comments that the Urantia book makes is how the spiritual connection happens uh, in spite of, not because of these things. But saying that the spiritual connection happens in spite of, not because of these things, does not discount that people are um, creating ritualistic practices that then end up, you know, creating the circumstances where this, in spite of the rituals, does occur, this downrange. So this is uh, important because God works with people as they are, not as we idealize them or fantasize them to be or wish they were. God works with us as we actually are. And so the obvious question comes up. If the Urantia book was put here in time for a spiritual revolution that was about to happen a decade or so later, and if that spiritual revolution not surprisingly, happen to have cultural aspects that uh, weighed heavily in favor of the use of cannabis. And if, in fact, we've got a Urantiable culture these days, and plenty of people in leadership who were smoking joints and reading the Urantiable 40 years ago, you know, what does that tell us? about life and how it works and planning. Yeah. I get and to it. And then when we hear to, yeah. about how the Urantia Foundation was standoffish about working with musicians of that time period who took an interest in the Urantia book, then we have a whole bigger question of did they totally wreck the plans well, what do you mean? Like, what do you mean by that? Let's let's hone in on that a little bit because we we know from history that Jerry Garcia of the Grateful Dead was a Urantia book reader. I've heard that Jimi Hendrix was a uh, carried it around. I heard that Elvis Presley carried it around quite a bit. Uh, and sadly, his daughter dying. I wonder if she knew much about the book. She seemed like a pretty hopeless, downtrodden person. Um, but yeah, you're right. There have there have been. And and why was you're telling me that wasn't embraced back then? Or what what do you mean when you say the foundation frowned upon well, that? Specifically, the uh, story is well repeated, and um, I believe there's some documentation about this if you look in the right places. Uh, 
people passing letters and such back and forth in the time period and so forth. But um, Moody Blues wanted to oh, yeah. play. Right. There were members of the Moody Blues who uh, would have played at a uh, Urantia conference back in, I think, the early 70s. Mm-hmm. And they were rejected. And By who? I wonder. The foundation. Well, well, who was in charge of the foundation at that time? Do we know? Was it uh, Martin? Martin Myers? More importantly than trying to point the finger at a particular person. Uh, well, I'm just trying Go to back a gather the info. And look yeah. at the cultural dynamics that were in play. All right. This came out of, you know, the 20s and 30s and 40s. Mm. And then, you know, the 50s and all that. This was not the hippy dippy of Period. the 60s. Yeah. Right? This is a whole different crowd of people. They didn't relate. Expect them to relate. They're older. They lived a different life. You know what I mean? Yeah, well, I get, I get what you're saying. Yeah. But by the, by the way, a lot of people that are listening to us now that are your Rancho Book readers come from those periods and they were. They were flower power children. There's no question. I've, you know, I won't name names, but I know some of these folks that are a little older than me, and and they were hanging out and going to the concerts, and they were, yeah, they were. There, that was what I call the Jesus Rock period. You know, David Crosby and, recently passed away. Right. Yeah. And all of this is what led to the split by 1990. The new generation came in. They had totally different attitudes. They didn't like the policies of the foundation. The foundation had been suing people left and right, mainly people who had favorable attitudes towards the Urantia book, not like massage parlors or something, using the word. Yeah. And, uh, you know, even Jacques Weiss, they couldn't get along with, who was the first uh, translator and did the French translation. Um and that was pulled off the market. So there were all kinds of problems going on with the foundation. They were spending their time trying to keep the revelation from getting out there in ways that they didn't like, rather than spending their time trying to work with all these different currents of interest. The last thing the foundation had was a plan to reach out to 60s rock musicians to see if that would help. You know, it's the furthest from their mind. Right. And that was exactly what was called for. Yeah. That would have created thousands of study groups very quickly. The whole But is that the, the thing, though? I mean, could have just been yeah. jump started like crazy. What were people doing in the 70s? They were reading all kinds of spiritual books and philosophical books. Be here now, now be here. You know, we had the Timothy Learys from Harvard and Ron Dosses and everything. You know, it was a very intellectual, spiritual, literate culture that was going on. Right, it was mystical. But, it, but, but let me just throw this in here as a, as, a, as a point that maybe we can discuss, is that a lot of these... That was a superficial era. None of those people stuck with whatever they, I mean, if they did, you know, I mean, they, for, for all you could say about flower power and liberation and all that, what did it create? What did it really create? You know, you don't realize that you're making my point. 
Well, I'm yeah, asking the question. What did it create? No, no. Because these the people are now modern-day secularists. They don't. They don't. They don't uh, want religion. They don't want anything. They're science. Because nobody told them about the Urantia book. Oh uh, well, yeah. They're hungry for the fifth epical revelation. They didn't find it, and then they were left without it. And they wandered around afterwards going, damn, I was so excited. But it really didn't work out that well. I guess I'll just have to, you know, nose to the grindstone and readjust and smoke yeah. my pot privately and remember the good old days. And Yeah, you're making my whole point. Well, maybe that's why we have you know, the problems we have today. <laughs> no, I, I, you, yeah, yeah, you, yeah. you might be right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so I want to now, – now, that's a good – I want to kind of pivot a little bit because it is sort of what we're talking about. Uh, just to recap, in uh, on August 21st, 2017, we all remember the solar eclipse that happened from North in North America, where from Oregon to Florida, there was this path of the eclipse and most of us in North America could see it. And then there's another one seven years apart that is about to occur on April 8th. 2024, so that's next year. So it's a year from this April. I believe... Isn't that incredible? Yeah. We're, we're just like, that. you can say it that way. I had to stop you and just point that out. I've been waiting about six years for this year, you know? Well, I woke up a couple of days ago, and I've got some relatives coming in April, and it reminded me, with all the stuff that's happening right now, I believe that, that the two dates of, of the event would only be recognizable by a Urantia book reader, but August 21st was the date that Jesus was born, according to the Urantia book, and then April 8th, which it's a little bit, but I, I, I've, let me ask you if you agree with me. It's not the date that he was resurrected, but it's that in-between period, the crucifixion, and that, that period when he rose on Sunday morning. So it's that Saturday date where nobody knows where the personality of Jesus was, but we can agree that... It, the resurrection was in process. So I would argue that the eclipse that's coming up also is on April 8th. So you have seven years, which is a spiritual number. Could we be in a period of some sort of tribulation where we're being asked to pick a side? And then what happens after that date? Well, I've, I've extended it off, and I think you brought to my attention other things that could happen. But we're definitely going through an unusual period and I definitely agree with you on a lot of points. You know, we're having the gender wars. We're having the race wars. We're having the class wars. We're having all these internal battles to determine where we want the future to go. And I'm wondering if people are being tested. And this is the testing period. Much like during the rebellion, where there was that seven-year period where people were left to decide who they wanted to follow. The Liberty Doctrine of Lucifer or the the... The, uh, the 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 God's plan, the ascension plan. That's what goes in my mind about these this eclipse, and, and about you. Now you you went to oh we left out the most important part, Halbert. These two eclipses intersect at Bald Knob Cross, which is where you're at. Yeah, and that's why yeah. you're there. Yes, I'm, I'm here for the fun of it that way. Uh, I, I do want to say, you know, when it, when it comes to a, a new age experience, you know, when, when um, we've got prophecies talking about there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth and something dramatic is going to happen, 
Um, in a general sense, that says to me, it doesn't matter where you are in the world, you're going to experience it. So all seats are good. Um, <laughs> as far as that goes, you know, I don't have, anything, you know, in particular to suggest that uh, Melchizedek or Jesus or anyone else is going to show up at the cross for the second eclipse. On the other hand, if I had to pick a place, <laughs> I could be anywhere. And I'll tell you right off, it was really nice to be with that crowd of folks on August 17th. I mean, you can imagine the people who show up at Bald Knob Cross of Peace for an event. Nice group of people. Wonderful group of people. You know, delightful. Yeah. So, um, and the other thing is, uh, it's not just for Eurantiabook readers. Like, Eurantiabook readers are able to identify August 21st and April 8th as Sabbath days, as days of the Lord. No matter what was happening in that in crucifixion and resurrection, in three days there, they're all days of the Lord. for sure they're all sabbath days as much as you could ever you know want something to be defined as a sabbath day yeah uh so the christian community is aware generally of how isaiah 66 uh 22 and 23 relates to the intersecting eclipses over bald nod cross and peace and there will be christians there who are hopeful well, I'm not familiar with that. Can you can you enlighten me about that Isaiah passage? Oh, sure. One of the um, really fascinating things about the Urantia book is the way it pulls together three different prophecies that all talk about a new heaven and a new earth. Right. So here's how the Urantia book does it. This is from. Uh, Paper 52, uh, Section 7, starting in the middle of paragraph 11. John wrote, I saw a new heaven and a new earth and the new Jerusalem coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a princess adorned for the prince. This is the same renovated earth, the advanced planetary stage that the olden seer envisioned when he wrote, quote, For as the new heavens and the new earth, which I will make, shall remain before me, so shall you and your children survive. And it shall come to pass that from one new moon to another and from one Sabbath to another, all flesh shall come to worship before me, says the Lord. That's Isaiah uh, 66, 22 and 23. And then uh, the Urantia book follows up with saying, it is the mortals of such an age who are described as, quote, a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, an exalted people. And you shall show forth the praises of him who has called you out of the darkness and into this marvelous light. That's uh, Peter. Uh, so there we've got, um, you know, Peter. Oh, and then it goes on with a, another one from Peter where it says, all the world uh, can join in the hope of the one who wrote, nevertheless, according to his promise, look for a new heaven and a new earth 
wherein dwells righteousness. Uh, wherefore, beloved, seeing that you look for such things, be diligent that you may be found by him in peace without spot and blameless. So this is what the Urantia book is bringing together for us from the Bible and saying, hey, heads up, you know, you can expect a divine son to show up. We're not kidding. These things happen. And so uh, that uh, section from Isaiah is something that uh, Christian uh, prophecy scholars uh, immediately uh, recognize as something to associate with the intersecting eclipses over bald yeah. cross of peace. So we can expect, you know, that there's going to be some Christians there who are hopeful. And like me, they're going to be either outrageously thrilled by what happened or, you know, disappointed and saddened and we'll need to lick our wounds a little bit and give each other some uh, comfort that way. Yeah. So, you know, in this sense, as far as a ministry uh, receiving and giving experience goes, <laughs> I'm sure there's no place I'd rather be than at Bald Knob Cross of Peace. It's going to be my kind of people there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Might be a good idea to bring some books. Maybe so. Maybe the foundation yeah. should have a booth set up. Sell Actually, some books. No. Uh, no, they should not. Because <laughs> um, e evangelizing particular religious uh, perspectives is not allowed there. It is an interdenominational oh. environment that way, oh. which is one of the beauties of it. Mm. Yes. Very symboitan like that way. Yeah, which I, I agree with. Mm -hmm. So you're a you are you've delved into the Melchizedek uh space and you do believe that you have other reasons for believing that he'll come before the second coming of Christ. Is that fair or no? Um, I just don't have an opinion on the second coming so much. Um, Michael could come with him, after him, before him. It's more that prophecies that are um, uh, emphasized in the Urantia book relate to this period of the eclipses, it seems. And there's definitely an end point. And there's definitely these comments about God coming down from heaven. And so I said from the beginning, if it's not happening with the first eclipse, it's probably going to be the second eclipse. Sure, it could be any time in between, but probably the first eclipse or second eclipse would mark God coming down from heaven, as discussed in the prophecy. It just seems intuitively to me the obvious choices. So... You know, uh, that's what I'm working with. You know, just that sort of common sense reasoning about stuff that's hard to reason out. But, you know, there are some things we can work with. Well, you know, it, it, it to me, it brings a level of suspense, you know, because I stated what I said. <laughs> you know, there's this seven-year period. And when I make the observations of the, the Trump presidency, covid you know, we don't know what's going to happen where this Ukraine-European war will end, but it's looking more and more like it's uh, mission creep is starting to set in. We're sending tankers, tanks, 
which, by the way, interestingly, are named Abram tanks, which is what Abraham's name was before <laughs> he uh, made his covenant. Maybe we're making yeah. a covenant with Ukraine. Who knows? But maybe they'll start calling the Abraham tanks. But anyway, my point is, is that there's a level of tension and one cannot help but to wonder. And maybe that's the weakness of human beings. I mean, even Jesus said in his time, you know, don't always look for this. I mean, you can look, but it's, it's, you know, I forget who it was that said, you know, you could see signs anywhere. If you really want to look, you'll find something to grab onto and say, see, see, I told you. But the truth is this eclipse could come and go. And then the next day will be just another day. And the, the, the shit that we have in our world will still be there and nothing will happen. And, and, I, and I hope that maybe that's what happens. But I also hope that it doesn't escalate to the point where Melchizedek has to intervene because the proverbial feces has hit the fan, you know? Like, I would hate to believe that humanity would be so close to destroying itself. And I'm not kidding you. I've talked to some people who know of such things, and they say that the angels are even concerned, that they're worried about this. I have you heard I think that? We have the, uh, I, I think increasingly I feel like we've had the wrong idea about what might destroy the world uh, in a way that would precipitate, uh, uh, that would require a divine intervention. I'm increasingly feeling that the, uh, the cataclysm, the catastrophe uh, is of a genetic nature. As I um, review uh, the history of our uh, technological development, and, you know, we've got all these discussions about GMOs and such like that, um, and now we've got uh, the COVID issues. And I think it's important to remember that as a species, we're not really in a position to determine whether we have reached a tipping point of irretrievability regarding how badly we've damaged the uh, genetic patterns on this planet. But uh, God's workers are aware of this and can make those types of determinations. And so uh, that's the type of thing that would get made on high and get acted on um, based on their time frames and sensibilities about things, not ours. And um, I think I'd like to just leave it right there uh, at, at this point. Yeah. You know, it seems that's probably like the best way to wrap it up here. Yeah, I've, uh, that's my instincts as well. We've covered a lot, though. I mean, I really appreciate your input on the music, that aspect of things, uh, and then, of course, your your journey. And, and I encourage people who are listening to this podcast, go back and listen to some of our other discussions where we elaborate more in some of these areas. It's pretty fascinating. Halbert's just a, just a very insightful guy. And it's like, it's why I, I like having you come back. So, uh, well, thank, thank you, you so much. Tim. Yeah. And for those yeah, who want to ch check out what you do, how best can they find what you do? Ubannotated.com uh, is definitely the place to check me out. Ubannotated.com. Well, thanks again for stopping by, Halbert, and I look forward to our next conversation. God bless, Jim. Have a great day.